0: monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization.
1: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, we your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. You enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing, even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Melissa Doman about building the skill set mindset. Behaviors required to discuss mental health, mental illness, and stress at work. Melissa Doman, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I've been so looking forward to this conversation.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you. We've been prepping for this for a long time. It's great to finally be able to sit down and have a nice conversation with you. You're joining us from the Denver area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about building the skill set, the mindset, and the behaviors required to effectively discuss mental health, mental, wealth, mental illness, and stress at work. All so that we can have more holistic wellness in the workplace. As we get started, I wanted to share Melissa's bio with everybody. Melissa Doman is an organizational psychologist, former clinical mental health therapist, and author of Yes, You Can Talk About Mental Health at Work. Here's why and how to do it really well. Melissa works with companies across industries, across and around the globe, including clients like Google, Dow Jones, Microsoft, Salesforce, Siemens, Estee Lauder, and Janssen. She has been featured as a subject matter expert in Vogue, the BBC, CNBC, Inc., And in LinkedIn's 2022 Top 10 Voices on Mental Health, having lived abroad in South Korea, England, Australia, and traveled to 45 plus different countries, Melissa calls upon her global experiences to inform how she works with companies around the world. She has one core goal to equip companies, individuals, and leaders to have constructive conversations about mental health in the workplace. Her work and book aim to accomplish just that. Again, a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to share by way of your background, your personal context before we dive on into the conversation?
0: Something I found, and one of the main reasons that I left clinical work is I found that practically all of my clients felt completely terrified to talk about very reasonable, normal struggles in the workplace. And a lot of people were also feeling like their workplaces were so toxic that there was no dream of even talking about this at all. So I thought, let me go and make an impact at the source. And that is what I have been trying to do for years. And I will beat that drum for as long as anybody will be willing to hear me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's always been an important topic. It's one we've talked about and addressed on this podcast uh, many times before, and I'm sure we will many times in the future. Uh, But as important as it has always been, I think over the last few years, we've seen even a heightened, you know, uh, importance and a sensitivity to all things around mental health, mental illness, stress, anxiety, and the holistic wellness of our people and organizations. Of course, COVID had a tremendous public health impact in terms of physical health of individuals, but it had a huge mental health impact too. Uh, and we felt that in organizations as people were, you know, socially isolating um, and just struggling to deal with all the complexities of everything that was happening. And so, organizations were were forced. Uh, In many cases, they did it, you know, very willingly. In other cases, they really kind of were forced and dragged kicking and screaming to to develop more empathy and to and to put in place more um, practical mechanisms to support the mental wellness and health of their people. Uh, So I see overall, that's a good thing that's emerged out of the pandemic over the last couple of years.
0: Yes, absolutely. And just like you said, it was always an important conversation. Now, the way I see it is it is deeply urgent. And with the way the world is going, and I know that every generation says this, this is not new information, but the way the world is going, I literally don't see how we couldn't talk about this in the workplace for our emotional survival, for the people that we spend anywhere from 35 to 70 hours a week with. And the way I look at it is these complexities and challenges will continue to happen. So learning how to realistically and constructively talk about the entire spectrum of mental health stress and mental illness is the only way forward. And so the way I'm looking at it is what, what's the alternative if you don't learn how to do this and the way that I've been working on it really, especially in the past year is this is not just an optional wellness conversation. This is about critical professional development and skill development and learning about a language that we all need to know how to speak. So when I think about how compliance is treated or management skills or legal advising or any of those skills that are implored upon businesses to understand, absorb, and apply, I don't understand, especially now, why talking about learning how to talk about mental health at work is treated any differently?
1: As you articulated, you know, there there are skills and competencies and capabilities oh, that yes. need to be developed in our people so that we can handle all of this and be provide the best support possible. So let's mm-hmm. go there and start talking about some of those skill sets. Um, you know, in your book, you talk about um how to talk about mental health effectively. So, there's a skill yeah. behind that developing oh, yeah. the skill sets, the mindsets, and the behaviors. What are some of those that you see as most important as we try to create a psychologically safe environment where everyone feels supported?
0: So, while I deeply appreciate that a lot of my industry colleagues will jump right into, okay, let's learn how to use this skill set. That's great. However, if you're not pausing and first encouraging people to take a look at, how do I even feel about doing this? What are the perceptions I have of this process? What are the biases I have towards this topic? And really encouraging them to do that back-end self-reflection first. You're asking people to perform this new skill set without taking a peek behind the curtain and seeing what they're coming to the stage with. I think that's a big mistake. I think that that needs to be the first step. So in my book, I encourage people, before you even embark on these conversations, you need to have a conversation first with yourself and ask all of these critical questions. How do I feel about this? Why am I talking about this at work? Where do these beliefs come from? What do I want out of these conversations? What am I prepared to do? What do I want, what do I want other people to do? And I find that a lot of people don't ask those questions because they're not encouraged to. And don't realize the benefit of having that conversation with yourself, which makes you feel more equipped and hopefully a little less frightened to have those conversations because you made it more concrete and you put some legs under it. So I cannot emphasize that enough that we can't just jump straight uh, straight into skill equipping. Got to do that back end reflection first, because if you have a lot of people coming to the table with a whole variety of expectations, rules, experiences without addressing that. I don't really see how it'll be as effective. And so that's the first thing is really doing that back end reflection, putting putting some concrete legs under it. So it's not as abstract and amorphous as people treat it to be.
1: And if I can say, honestly, whether we're talking about this kind of skill set and mindset that yeah. we're trying to develop or yeah. anything else, it could be anything else. And I would still say the same thing. Like you, yeah. you need to make sure that there's that kind of self-awareness, self-reflection. Oh, so, yeah. you know, so you know where the gaps might be that need to be addressed. Right. And everyone's 100%. different. And so, mm-hmm. so you see, you see, um, company training programs that get implemented, you know, everyone is involved <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe that's a good use of time, money, and energy, but probably not because everyone's in different places. Um right. So I would say, I would say that for any type of training um oh, or yeah. skill development, but it certainly oh, applies yeah. here too.
0: Oh, God, yes. And so oftentimes when I uh, talk about, you know, emotional intelligence, constructive conflict, intentional communication, being aware of, you know, team dynamics, all all that fun stuff that folks like me love to geek out about. And I think maybe you too. And the thing is that, again, I don't feel that people are encouraging those folks to take stock about where the, the genesis of those, you know, beliefs and motivations come from about their willingness, readiness and motivation to, to learn about how to do it differently. I think that's a critically missed step. So no matter what I am, you know, presenting on, advising on, that's where I start before even going into giving those skills, because you got to take the human condition and variation of experiences into account first, because we're all a product of all the different social spheres that we have touched throughout our lives. And so that's where my my undergrad in sociology comes into play a little bit, you know, before even looking at the psych stuff. And um, I think it, it's absolutely critical because I often find that for conversations like this, that people are encouraging sharing because you should be able to share. And I get that and I agree. However, I would say the more effective and long-term and constructive way to look at it is, yes, I want to do this, but I want to do it with purpose. So I need to take some responsibility and figure out why do I want to talk about this to who and what I want to get out of it. And so oftentimes, I, I also write about this a lot in the book. I would say the majority, if not all, of the responsibility and onus tends to be put on the listener, the supporter What about the person who's sharing? What about their responsibility in that two way conversation about telling someone what they need, what they're concerned about, the type of support they need? And that's why I say try to answer those questions ahead of time because if you go into it not being sure what you want or doing it in a state of crisis, your brain, the logical parts of your brain aren't functioning as well when you're in a state of crisis. So, wouldn't it be more effective to try and answer some of those questions ahead of time as opposed to doing it out of a state of desperation, which mo- most people end up doing anyway. And then the supporter kind of looks at them. I don't know if you've ever seen um, Talladega Nights with uh, uh, Will, Ferrell. Will Ferrell. And he kind of goes, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know where to where do I put my hands? I don't know where to put my <laughs> hands. And that's how a lot of the supporters feel when people come at them and they're like, I want to help, but I'm afraid if I move in the wrong direction, I'll scare this person off. So I think that the the responsibility should be weighted in both directions, in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah. And thank you. I have not thought about that movie in many, many years. <laughs> so I can't yeah,
0: like chuckle to myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
1: no, you're you're absolutely right. It's a two way street when we're communicating. Uh, and we also context always matters. Uh, someone's background oh, yeah. and history, their their personal context, the organizational and team context, context always matters. Systems always matter. Uh, and so we definitely want to be thoughtful about all of that um as we start to think about oh, yeah. the types of skills that we need to work on developing so let's assume we have you know we've done that work we've done that critical self reflection and internal introspection um what are some of the common types of skills that you think people um generally need to be working on as they're trying to uh, put themselves in the best place to have these conversations and and to be more supportive and to create just a a really holistically healthy uh, place in, in their teams and in their workplaces.
0: So I would love to address that both from the side of the supporter and the side from the chair. So when it comes to supporting someone, would you agree that generally speaking, people are encouraged and conditioned that giving good help means solving or fixing or giving advice. Would you agree?
1: Giving advice <laughs> as, a, as a means of, of helping someone when they're kind of emotionally unloading on you a little bit. Uh, I guess it depends mm-hmm. on the situation. Like sometimes it's helpful. And uh, I would say most of the time, though, it, it probably uh, is counterproductive.
0: Oh, you might have read my book and <laughs> you might be ahead of the curve because, well, that's the right answer. But let's explain why folks don't normally do that. So, I really want people to develop the skill more of not only inquiring with curiosity, but suspending assumptions of the type of help that people need. That is not a skill set that is encouraged. So generally speaking, and this can go across a lot of cultures, that good help looks like giving solutions, good help looks like giving advice, those sorts of things. So when it comes to being a supporter, I think developing the skill of suspending that assumption and suspending that automatic uh, behavior is something to work on and, and rerouting that into practicing asking open-ended questions and not making assumptions about what people need you'd be shocked although you in particular i don't think would be shocked the number of people who walk around their entire lives not being asked do you want me to listen or do you want help sorting through this or fixing it the average person is not asked that because people just jump straight in oh this person seems to be in distress let me give a silver lining or say why it's going to be okay or offer what I did or what someone else did, because that, that'll that help, that has to help. Well, not always. So I think that the, fir- the first thing to do is practicing, not fixing and making assumptions about the style of help and inquiring with curiosity about the type that they do need. That is so incredibly powerful. And I wish people would work on that practice more often. Another thing is I often notice that people really struggle with active listening as opposed to listening to respond. And you can often see that when you're you're speaking with someone, you see their face preparing to answer back to you, which will relay to someone who's trying to speak about their mental health oh, they're not actually listening. They're just waiting for their turn to talk. And I know that everybody and their mother talks about active listening. I am not the first person to to do this, but people still really struggle. They really struggle with listening to listen as opposed to listening to respond. And so I, I cannot stress enough. I'm the millionth person to talk about this, that active listening is incredibly important. monetizing digital services since 2004 boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone awg where innovation meets monetization
1: you're absolutely right uh, we need we need to listen uh to listen be present with the person and help them to f- feel seen and heard right and and we're not listening with an agenda not listening preparing for the next piece of our own argument or our own solution or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a, just a very different way of approaching that kind of a conversation. Uh, and so mm-hmm. active listening, really intensive listening is a skill that I think most people need to work on and develop. Um, I was also thinking though uh, about just distracted listening. So you, you may not be listening, you know, with the intent of like preparing your next remarks or anything like that, but you may be distracted and there could be a thousand things that are sh- distracting you. Uh, and, and oh, I couldn't yeah. help, but think about, a, a just a situation just the other day with my 15 year old daughter. And I can't, I don't remember what I was distracted <laughs> by. Uh, I was trying to listen to her. I was not, I didn't have any intention of like trying to formulate what I was going to say in response or anything. Um, uh-huh. but something distracted me and mm-hmm. she said something that was important. And then, but she I could tell, <laughs> she could tell that I didn't like Dad, process it. You're not listening. And, Yeah. (laughs) And and she actually did that. She like (laughs) grabs my head. She's like, dad, (laughs) you did not hear what I just said, did you? And I'm like, "Uh, sorry, yeah, so, you know, good for her. Um, And, but I I was distracted, right? What in whatever it was. And so we we just try to be as present as you can be. Try to tune out the distractions. I know the world's a crazy place. There are distractions all the time. Sometimes it happens regardless of our best intentions. And so when that does happen, like it did with my daughter the other day, you know, I just say, sorry, honey, <laughs> please tell me again and and, and try to make <laughs> don't sure. Don't grab your knows. colleagues'
0: heads. Don't, yeah. don't grab your colleagues' heads, but, you know, same principle.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're
0: so right, though, because people, even if you're having these conversations on Zoom or on the phone, people can tell when you are not giving the conversation the space and attention it deserves, or if you're checking email or checking texts or something like that. How would that feel to you if you're trying to offload about something that people are still apprehensive to talk about at work and they can tell that you're multitasking? That sucks. Even if it's not intentional, you need to give the conversation the time and space that it deserves. And something else that I think is a really good skill to practice more on like a a meta level within an organization Is oftentimes when we come to trying to encourage these sorts of conversations, there is a lens of unintentional toxic positivity that is entirely counterproductive to what we are trying to accomplish. So when we're creating an environment for constructive and healthy conversations, notice I didn't say the word positive. Notice I didn't say bringing our best selves to work because those phrases really just make people feel like, okay, my actual experiences, even if they are negative, are not welcome in this workplace. They're not welcome in this conversation because it's not positive. Positive mental health and a positive culture, while it sounds great, is not the realistic goal. The realistic goal is that, so um, did you ever see the film Inside Out? Which we all know, those Pixar and and DreamWorks films for adults. So that is based on real childhood development, and it's based on real neuroscience. They had consulting, you know, psychologists, physicians on that on that um, project, and I really hope they make a follow up. I'm desperate for it. But we come pre-programmed, out of the box, with a whole host of emotions for a very clear evolutionary reason to tell us what's going on in our environment and how to respond to it. And if we need support from others. And the thing is that as we get older, that mood board expands and what happens when joy kept trying to take over, things got a little hairy. And so I think it's incredibly important to think about the messaging around the purpose and the intentions of these conversations at an organizational level, because people are not always going to show up with joy, People are not always going to show up with the other, you know, derivatives of joy. So I also highly recommend everybody checks out The Feeling Wheel by Dr. Gloria Wilcox. Mm -hmm. You will be shocked the dozens and dozens and dozens of emotions that we are naturally pre-programmed with, half half of which are actually pretty negative and they're not clinical at all. So it's about encouraging people that you can show up to work with this full range of stuff. And that's okay. We need to normalize that talking about mental health at work is not just with this this positivity lens. It's all of it. But what's most important is that if you're in the I'm not feeling good space, what are you going to do about it? I think it's sharing with intention and purpose. Sometimes people need a good old fashioned word vomit. I get it. But if something <laughs> is continuing, con- <laughs> continuing, 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 Well, sharing is great, but what are you going to do to manage it? I think there's a big missing dose of individual accountability to not only talk about mental health, but to manage mental health. I think that's a huge thing that's missing. And I'm constantly raving about that because, you know, HR can put out these initiatives, you know, they can give these educational programs. I just spoke, you know, at the Sherm Foundation about this a couple of days ago, But if people are not tasked with the individual accountability to learn how to do the skill set for this full range of experience that we have, it'll die. It just won't succeed. And so I think it's incredibly important. And I know we already talked about the responsibilities for the the sharer, but something else that I really wanted to mention is that it's really difficult if you want to talk about mental health at work to... Distill down into the must-know highlights that people need to know in terms of the the relevance of this conversation in the context of work, and so try to think about what are the critical things that people need to know instead of the eighty thousand word description over this ten year history that you've never told them about before versus what, what are only the highlights they need to know, because any of that superfluous information will only distract from your point and potentially mm-hmm. confuse the listener about what you want them to do. So I think that the sharer has a responsibility to try to work on articulating more clearly what, what are the key pain points and what they want that person to do. And that's not something that we are encouraged to work on, because we're so focused on just getting people to open up period and opening up is really critical. But if you're opening up without some sort of structure for the receiver to get, I don't see how the conversation can be as, as, as helpful in the end.
1: Melissa, this has just been a really fascinating conversation. I note the time, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go here in a little bit so you can get back to your busy day. Oh, what's so um,
0: fast? <laughs> I know. It,
1: it screamed on by. Um, but you do have a book, so people can uh, uh, check do. that out and learn even more yeah. about all of this, and I would encourage them to do so. Um, before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, where they can find your book, and anything else you would like to share in terms of parting words.
0: Uh, most definitely. So I'll start with Parting words. Uh, For any of you who are listening to this episode, I'm deeply appreciative that you were letting me yak at you for the past half an hour. What I would really prefer is you do something with this information, whether it is how you want to talk about your own mental health at work or support a team member or a colleague or contacting me to come in and crack some heads about how to get this right. I don't care what it is. I just want you to do something with the information because awareness is great, but action is better. And when it comes to contacting me, you're welcome to contact me through my website, melissadoman.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, on Instagram at thewanderingmel and on Twitter at Doman LLC. Uh The stuff that I do to provide for organizations is strategic advising, keynotes, panels, seminars, and uh, just coming in and helping people understand that these conversations don't need to be so scary. And in fact, they can be quite incredible and if you want to read my book and hear my voice yakking at you it is available across all major retailers online and there is also a link on my website uh, if you want to see all of your collective options so i'd like to release you all back into the wild to use what you've learned and if you'd like to do more please reach out
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Melissa. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review.